Nyani Gili, Nyani Gili Elden Lands, Nyani Gili, Kuniani Yulu, and welcome to the Rope Podcast. Testing, testing, one, two, three, you're a fuckface, bumblebee. Hello, hello guys, and welcome back to the Rope Podcast. You are here with Elden Lands, and my special guest today, my cousin Scotty Wilson. G'day, Elden. It's so honored and uh, privileged to be able to jump on to your deadly uh, podcast, Rob's podcast, and be here and just be on that journey with you. And it's so good uh, for all those listening to uh, be a part of, you know, challenging perspectives, but also adding to current perspectives, but also just absolutely decolonizing in a sense of understanding multiple perspectives and so we're going to go on that journey today and i'm so happy to be here with you brother cheers brother good to be here with you as well so before we start any podcast what we got to do is the acknowledgement to country like i said last week i can't do a welcome because i'm not yaru and we are currently sitting on yaru country here in broome western australia so acknowledgement to country i'd like to acknowledge the elders both past present and emerging and thank them for the ability for me, my family, and my loved ones to be able to stay on this beautiful country and to do things like the podcast and like work and like and live as well, just to close that gap a little bit more. So, without further ado, let's get into this episode, guys. All right. Before we do that, I want to talk about I want to talk about Scotty a little bit. I want Scotty to talk about himself some of his uh, achievements, his passions, and <laughs> what he's going to be doing in the future. <laughs> no, definitely. Take it away, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, as I, uh, thank you, Alan, uh, for that introduction into ropes. Uh, my name is Scott Wilson. I'm a Guni Indi man, Guni Indi Yulu. So, Nganyi, Guni Indi, Ngadigi, Ngadi, Thangandi, Guni Indi. So, uh, speaking Guni Indi language, um, that is my language, Jaja Ningi, Jugu Ningi, Jamanji Ningi from both Eldon and I's grandparents, um, this is the language um, that we can share today and have, you know, that privilege and uh, honor to be able to share, which others may not have that opportunity. Uh, but my dad is also from uh, Mirong Gajarong, uh, Kananara, and I pay respects to both my mom and dad's country and language. And because uh, Gajarong is m- more specifically to the north uh, northern territory border as you know if you ever see if you jump on the maps right now or go on to like gumbay.com where you can actually see the language groups across australia you will see that Merong gudrong uh, stems from kananara but always also goes to the coast and that's where my dawang from my dad's side is which is uh, Waterbung, which can goes from cape domit all the way to the northern territory border which is absolutely deadly and beautiful country there like the beautiful country in mulajah community where my our grandmother was born grew up you know under a tree on fossil down station and so um so wanted to share that knowledge and um, that connection to country um but i'd like to share uh sort of my journey is literally i started with you know an opportunity when i was younger uh, to go to boarding school um at hale school and uh, but up until that point, I know a lot of people just recently with the AIS Australian Independent Schools, we did a webinar and we were discussing, you know, what it was like for, you know, an Aboriginal boy to travel away from country to boarding school. And uh, that kind of uh, 
uh, gave me this understanding as I was talking about my story, and I've been speaking about my story for some time now, is literally that the discovery of an understanding that I had all of this empowerment through understanding my history and my connection to country that grounded me. And uh, that knowledge and the sharing of oral tradition from our, our parents, you know, uh, Anifili, Mamob, all of that stuff really gave me the tools to really uh, go past my shame barrier at that point. I was very shame, um, you know, I lacked confidence, all these different things. But even though people didn't know that, those are the inner conversations that I was having, you know, um, and I really set aside to uh, go beyond the stereotype and uh, go beyond all these different things and go beyond uh, environmental determinism, which we'll discuss later. And uh, yeah, really took this opportunity and ran with it. Um, I scared shitless. I was like, I have to take this opportunity, uh, seeing and understanding, you know, stolen generations and intergenerational trauma that my parents, our parents had gone through. And now we have this opportunity to really uh, independently and individually uh, create something of our own and really take it to the world and change and break down all these dimensions of stereotypes and barriers for Aboriginal people. And so, yeah, I took that upon myself and I went and hailed, provide me this opportunity to bloody travel the world, travel to different places, you know. At a very young age, I was building this bloody database or this, you know, this database of uh, knowledge from experience. And uh, so I traveled to Vietnam, Cambodia, working with, uh, you know, doing service learning there at the age of 16, where I experienced the killing fields there and uh, also experience, uh, you know, the detrimental intergenerational trauma from Pol Pot's and the regimes there of the Khmer Rouge where they killed, you know, all the people that were academically sound. And I sat in uh, a little clay uh, prison actually at the top of this university that they actually turned into a concentration camp. And uh, I just had this profound uh, experience uh, through that, but also connecting because of our history here in Australia. You know, and so much countries that have this history that we need to bring to light and share, and uh, especially when it comes to inter intergenerational trauma. And so all of this stuff was I was building this uh, database in order to do the things that I'm doing today. Did that give you, sorry to interrupt, did yeah, that give right. you different perspective on life as well <clears throat> from having that single-minded, I guess, upbringing in Broome, small town syndrome and then going to a big city, then going to a different country, did that, basically, the rope podcast, Rite of Passage Evolution, would that evolved in your mind, you know, like the different perspective of, you know, Australia, my own people aren't the only people that have gone through suffering like this. Yeah. These other beautiful human beings have been through that. Did that change? No, uh, 100%, Alan. <laughs> that's, that's the whole uh, point, I feel like. I was pushed to that, and I recommend anyone who's listening now, if you're under the age of, you know, uh, 18, that actually want to get out there, or even now, it's never too late to go and uh, experience a third world country, but not in the aspect of going on a holiday, like going to Thailand or going to Bali, and you know, and living that kind of life or that holiday life, which I encourage you to do as well, you know. <laughs> but I also encourage you to go or even contact, you know, a uh, you know, a third party organization that uh, supports, you know, uh, 
socioeconomic disadvantage in different countries and actually apply for those things. I know back in the day, Rite Aid uh, supported uh, you know students in Cambodia, and that's where Hale had that joint venture with Rite Aid to actually take us there because they had those relationships and were able to uh, you know uh, connect us to people there. And so there are so much opportunities right now that you can go to these places and do these things. And on year13.com, which I'll talk about shortly, is that you can jump on year13.com and there is a gap year section that you can explore and go anywhere in the country if you want to do these kind of uh, service learning or working with you know these organizations that support people in third world countries. Yeah, talking about year 13, that's because you're the Aboriginal liaison officer for that, aren't you? The yeah, well, year 13 well, program and... We'll talk a bit about that bit more, but um, shit, yeah. So within saying that there now, going to hail that shame factor, with that shame factor, do you believe that came from being in a small town, knowing everyone, then going to a big city, knowing no one? Or was it just something that you have built up in your head continuously that you had to conquer to become that leader within Hale boarding school and, or the Hale school itself? Is that something that you had to overcome in order to get to where you are now? Well, I, I feel like it's multi-faceted. Uh, There's a lot of dim- dimensions to it um, because at a very young age, you know, as Aboriginal people, when you talk about mental health or social emotional yeah. well-being, it incorporates <clears throat> a holistic interconnectedness to everything. Yeah. And so when you are a young person growing up, all of these things are playing on that and uh, there is a sense of well when I was very young I was conscious of the conditioning of our environment yeah um, and the barriers that were brought up or even conditioning to do a set pathway and uh, so for me it was becoming conscious of that through an understanding of our history and uh, the history of my parents my family all of that which yeah. empowered me to see life for what it was, which I believe, okay, this is like a serious thing, is that the biggest lie that we're told, right, as human beings, is living. So living is one of the biggest lies we're told. We're, we're sold this idea of how to live. Yeah. And now it's like decolonizing those kind of thinking. And at a very young age, I was lucky enough, I don't know why or how, is to stumble across this ethos, this like uh, energy where I was able to tap into and really say, you know what, I'm going to take this and change my life because I've always believed, you know, that we have two choices. Yeah. Um, as set by Western, you know, Western society is either choose this or that, but it's totally more uh, bigger than that. But I believed that literally either accepted the conditions you know, or t- took the responsibility to change those conditions. And so at a very young age, I saw the conditions and my environment, which I had so much support, you know, at a very young age as an Aboriginal person by my family, that I had to take the responsibility to change the course of my life through the opportunities that they provided me okay. and supported me. And so there is this evolution, um, but I don't think it's just one thing. Yeah. Um, you know, we grow up and we see things that... Uh, <clears throat> can determine you know yeah. what we do um and it's kind of like that old saying that I, I spoke to you about before about uh when you go for a walk on a beach you yeah. know when you go for a walk on a beach two things will happen either you adjust to their pace or you adjust or you they adjust to your pace so you have to be conscious of whose pace are you adjusting to is it yours or is it the system that is conditioning you to be yeah. a certain person to go down a certain pathway all these different things 
Fuck yeah, brother. So uh, my whole life, I looked at everyone's pace. I looked at the pace of the world. I looked at what people wanted me to be. And I flipped it on its head. Airplane player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, exactly. You know, like I, it was conditioned, like from what we see. You know, at a very young age on television, we see AFL, we see these things. So, what is the product and the outcome? Oh, we have generations of young people just wanting to play sports, be AFL yeah. players. When you go to school, if you're disengaged, we're pushed to incentivize schooling through sports and yeah. doing these things. But it's just a bandaging approach, which I feel like there is an evolution at play now where we're evolving <clears throat> to shift how we engage with our young Aboriginal people. Buddy Oath, um, <clears throat> within that introduction, you had mentioned the uh, mental health side of things. And that is the topic of discussion today is men's mental health and how we can use Aboriginal ident- like Aboriginality to basically not have a solution or a problem solved, but to have ideas and connections that can uplift men themselves within this struggle that the world look at looks at as a big issue, but if we can actually look at social media standards, it's a laughing stock. Like a perfect example would be Will Smith and Kanye West's, you know, their faces became memes after their emotional breakdown. Obviously they've got their own personal issues and stuff like that, and that's in America. But the question I want to ask you is that from your perspective, being in a position that you are in now, what, what are your thoughts on mental health? Aboriginal males, uh, non-Indigenous males, like men's mental health in general, what are your thoughts and perspectives on it? How do you think we can evolve as one to basically better that? Oh, well, definitely. <laughs> I feel it is, as, as I said before, multifaceted, um, where there is it's a... Uh, multi-pronged approach to everything that we do that on one end uh you know if you talk about early intervention um, for young people we can do a lot of work in that space um for you know not only just men but a lot of people in general but then we're talking about these so three things basically uh when you're talking about it you must do in regards to pre early intervention but then in the middle, you must do currently, now, exactly what we're doing to inform young people now. And then the reactive approach to actually people now, you know, uh, after their post-schooling life, going to those transitions in this life now, you know, we got 35 or even the rates, you know, for suicide, all these different things. There's a category and you can see that space in which what age group are actually, yeah. you know, being impacted by these things. And so literally what we do and this is like in the history of paternalistic policy, is that we focus on one part. Yeah. We say, oh, we'll bandage this. We'll do this part here. When in order for that to work, every three aspect of those things must be covered. Yeah. So these kids growing up, growing up now, if we have like our mother's first educators program, you know, pre-kindy programs doing that, all these cognitive development resilience, uh, persistence, all these kind of training for young people at a very young age, then it must be done for students that are currently in that position. Yeah. And then for those that have already gone through. So it must be done in this multi-layered approach where we do not miss out on anyone. Because currently there are gaps in the way in which we approach youth mental health. It's a gaps in which we approach education in the way we approach low socioeconomic disadvantage, yeah. social justice. There's so much gaps. 
And then once we start to highlight those gaps and zone in, we start to realize that those gaps are all based on how we treat everything interconnectedly. Yeah. And so for, you know, young people, it's quite a alarming, you know, uh, in terms of that gap. Uh, when you look at closing the gap and all those rates, uh, however, it is not impossible. Yeah. Um, but the way in which we tend to do things is we put the onus on other people. Yeah. Um, like, let's just say for government, we are so conditioned to be dependent on government that it not only comes from welfare, all this stuff and the intergenerational trauma is there, it also comes down to us as individuals where we're like, oh, we'll wait for the world to change. Like John Mayer's song, you know, waiting on the world to change, right? Well, democracy that is at play here in Australia, it comes from the Greek word basically saying the rule of the people. If the people are empowered, provided the tools, the literacy, all the education needed, culture, everything, then they can provide that change to the people. So what you're saying is that if we're able to unite as one and actually take action as individuals to like create a team bond, change will start happening within those those gaps closing? Yeah, 100%. I feel like there's a collective consciousness, especially um, when you're talking about youth mental health, where everyone is doing a lot, um, you know? And then I want to make this point is that often we uh, mistake progress or well movement with progress. So we can be doing a lot, yeah. but not getting a lot done. Yeah. And the fact that a lot of uh, our system is an outdated system based on segregation of issues where organizations focus on this issue and then there's multiple organizations getting funded by the government to focus on that one issue, yeah. but there's no communication. And so the evolution of it all is that the collective consciousness at bay is that people are wanting to communicate, wanting to connect, wanting to uh, work with each other, collaborate. Bloody but there's nothing joining the dots. And so I've been going around and talking to organizations at the moment, and this is what they're saying. They want to collaborate. You know, They want to do things. But now it's about creating those dots in between. Yeah. And that's what we're working on right now with Year 13. That's what we're working on um, with Reconciliation WA, with all these different organizations to make sure that we join those dots and make sure that we do not mistake, you know, progress with movement. Shit, yeah. Um, We're literally, we're moving into progress. Well, talking about that movement, um, quick question is, your mental health yourself, personally, how do you... How have you worked on your mental health so much from the introduction what you said, how it was hard transition going down south and moving away from family and friends and country? Over time, how have you focused on your mental health and how have you developed that and that movement? How you just said, you know, we, we, you know, we mix it up, you know, with progress and movement and shit. We can see the progression happening or we can see the movement happening, but vice versa, the other thing's not happening. Yeah. So you individually, how have you solely focused on your mental health and built your mental health up and continue to do that like how do you consciously make the effort to better yourself in a way yeah well i think uh first off is it's not easy you know uh for me social emotional well-being has always been an individual struggle that i've always had and uh at a very young age i set out to do it individually by myself Um, in terms of in my head uh, because what the struggle was 
is this understanding grappling with my purpose and i think uh for a lot of people we struggle with this idea of purpose why we're here on earth you know you know why do we even exist you know and for me it was always about my people our culture yeah and it was all about bettering others and that purpose in itself has given me the resilience uh empowered me to persist yeah and it has given me hope and uh i conceptualize these things in my head you know this hope is like shining light in my head yeah and uh uh literally i have my ups and downs my bad days my good days but like when, anyone would yeah as you would yeah. and that's what the thing is is that the lie is yeah. that we going to go on this journey and reach a destination but the emphasis isn't place on that journey you know and uh, for a long time i always emphasize that journey yeah um when we look at media if you really break down media and you look at all these role models that we see we only see the product right um as consumers we see the product the world wants us to be consumers where we consume the product get sold an idea and so i always saw oh what went into that product yeah what how did that manufacturing process occur what happened you know when you look at celebrities we'll see them you know let's just say a weight loss uh, someone struggling with weight loss which i i have uh, you know i've always struggled with that yeah you know with um, my own physical image and if you look at celebrities is that like role models will see them you know let's just say uh considered what western society would say overweight um and then we see them again uh absolutely ripped yeah. you know but we do not really see the hard work that goes into getting them to that position you know and so it perpetuates a cycle that is going to be easy and then someone you know seeing that their whole life they're like oh it's okay i'll just go and do what they did and then what they see is that oh what they did took 2 years yeah it took 6 months <laughs> of absolute uh you know discipline yeah you know but so we don't see that and then we do two weeks of it and then we're like oh this is harder than that like thought, fuck you know? this <laughs> yeah. and so exactly that is um with my mental health it was strictly driven uh beyond me so i don't sometimes i don't consider myself a person <laughs> yeah. i consider a beacon <clears throat> uh a symbol uh towards a future that i that already exists for us as Aboriginal people and that alone like i feel like go against everything people say you got to be happy through these processes which i am but i will never be fulfilled until i provide that freedom to my people that's it and so that is that drive that is the thing that wakes me up in the morning and you know, I want you to ask yourself Alden what wakes you up in the morning you yeah. know that's the kind of stuff that you know wakes you up get up and you're like beam and jump out of bed by this morning we had that deadly meeting and it was like woken up 7am you know no matter what i did last night <laughs> i got up even if i had 4 hours sleep 3 hours sleep i was up beam and ready to go and so if you can look that surpass who you, you know it actually goes it's very mental yeah like with that there that i've always had that firm belief in um wake up with a purpose and ask yourself three questions yeah. every morning you wake up you know is it going to make you happy are you going down a track that you want to go down and is it something that you'll do if today was your last day on the planet yeah <clears throat> and that basically leads me to gratitude every morning like i do my three grateful things every morning 
and it's different every morning. Like I wake up, I'm grateful this morning for the fact that I've got feet, you know, yeah, like yeah. it's different every morning. That's what makes my mental health better. And within going on to that discussion right now, that sense of purpose, I tend to tell people that, you know, if you put your hand on your heart, there's a reason why it's still tickering because there's, there's a, there's a vision there. There's a, there's a, there's a passage that's laid out, but you have to walk the passage that hasn't been walked before. And with your, with your journey, you've walked down a passage that most people wouldn't fucking dare to walk down because of the fact that it's gone through ups and downs, but it's always led you to an up. And that's like my little quote that I talk about the ocean, you know, because my star signs, it's ocean, you know, the water fucking movement shit. And it talks about the high tides, the low tides and all that stuff. And within you, your personal experience within mental health, what, I guess I could say, what has been the lowest point in time for your mental health and how you got yourself out of that? <clears throat> and what has been the highest point in time so far? And what has kept you at that high point that's kept you motivated to keep going? Besides that, that freedom for your people, yeah. what was the lowest point and what was the highest point that you can recounter? Oh, well, I guess that's, that's the thing with me is that uh, <clears throat> I feel that I'm able to conceptualize uh, what each thing meant in the way that I use it to empower like what I do so like if you look at like at a very young age like I remember like the deaths in my life and all those kind of things and um, I've always thought to use it uh, because it is kind of like this understanding like so at, at a very young age you know I actually uh, so I did an artwork um, for my year 12 piece and um, early on in my schooling I had lost uh, a lot of family members and uh, especially young as well. Um, you know, my uh, one of my little cousin Kimberly, but then uh, Adam and then uh, Hippie and all these family members that like very close to me. And it was kind of like using it to say, well, these are young people that I've lost, but now I have to live this life for them as if through me they still exist you know and you conceptualize it however you want it you can let something you know completely keep you down and you can utilize it to say you know what i'm going to use this and just drink my life away yeah you know and a lot of people it becomes uh more mental uh more complexity where you literally cannot control these things until you're actually supported by external bodies, you know, and I do uh, encourage those to seek support yeah. if you are in those kind of situations and never keep it behind closed doors. Yeah. I encourage all those to seek it and I encourage those family members that may even think those are keeping that behind closed doors to go and support and talk to those young people and um, encourage them or even create plans with them to seek support so at a very young age uh, i literally uh had these things where i literally thought that i was going to die before i was 21 yeah. you know i thought I, that was going to be i was going to die because well my cousin at that time um yeah he passed away i think before his 21st birthday and um all these different things um and i kind of used that to empower me um 
where I thought, you know what, I'm not going to waste this opportunity because now I'm living for them. Yeah. It's kind of like eight seconds, if you watch the end of eight yeah. seconds, where uh, Tough Peterman uh, actually arrives for Lane Frost, and um, you know, and then you hear it in the crowd, because we watched that at a very young age. Yeah. So he's like, oh, what is he doing? And he's like, he's riding for Lane now. And um, that always stuck in my head. Um, and uh, I, like, you know, right now I'm riding for my, you know, a lot of my family yeah. that I've lost, my grandparents, uh, my pop in recent years. Um, you know my uncle our uncle yeah. all those things um, where every day I think about yeah. you know every single day and that's why um, but I conceptualize it in this way to utilize it to empower me to guide me to uh, give me that burning desire to do what I need to do so that my parents don't have to work a day in their life again if they don't yeah. want to um, you know we have the freedoms to do all these different things and it comes down to that obligation I feel like that Aboriginal people have and I've always believed that from seeing, you know, like Nana June Oscar and, you know, Grandpat Dodson and Mom and our parents, you know, where that it wasn't that they existed as an Aboriginal person. They existed as an Aboriginal community member. They existed as a Aboriginal person in Australia, but they existed uh, in these multifaceted uh, circles that uh, we live within. So they're not only just a person, but they're also a part of a family. Yeah. They're also part of that community. They're also part of the national perspective. So they have all of these obligations where they cannot afford to be this stereotype yeah. because it's about breaking those things, those barriers, those things, so that our young people one day don't have to worry. They don't have to stress. They don't have to uh, paint a picture because the picture we are painting right now to show whatever in the culture is, who we are, and where we're going to go. And it's, that's like absolutely yeah. empowering. And like when I talk about these things, that's what exactly brings me to my heart. And it is exactly that, like with all the support of my family, friends, you know, a lot of people around me throughout my life that literally I'm able to now do the things that I had set out to do when I was, you know, 14 years old, going to hail. Yeah. Fuck yeah, bro. Like <clears throat> you could say in that, I've always, like, since my, obviously, my experience with mental health and stuff as well, I've always said, as Aboriginal people, <clears throat> we have two shoes, but they're not the same pair, because yeah. we're walking in two different worlds. We're walking in a world that an obligation towards our community is, needs to be upheld, and then we're walking in a world where stereotypes and standards of our success level in the Western society is looked at, and we need to uphold that. And I think that's where we need to defeat the system by, you know, without without mental ability to go, you know what, I don't need to live up to this standard. I need to live up to my standard, which is being a proud Gunyanyulu, being a proud blackfella, you know? And in, within return, I guess that could uplift everyone in a way. Because if they could see, you know, if a young indigenous boy can see you doing something great, they'll say, I want to do that, you know? They see, like, obviously we said AFL before, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Everyone sees, like, these black fellas on footy playing footy and shit. I want to be an AFL star. Yeah. We're, we're going to be the people that they go, I want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, we we got to defeat that system in that type of way. And back to yeah. your experience with that mental health high and low, right now, what do you believe indigenous people, like, just indigenous specific, their social emotional well-being is? How do you think it's evolved over time? How we said the other, uh, the other week, progression or digression? Yeah. Do you reckon it's 
we've seen change in a better way or we've seen it fall down to a point where it's you know it's 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 like a lost it's a lost habit right now or something like what 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 do you what do you see on that perspective with the aboriginal community social emotional well-being how do you see the growth or how do you see the shrinking of stuff well that's a very good question i think you know uh, growing up uh, and seeing and experiencing it from one end to now you know building up and understanding it from this progression that i've made but uh looking at also the past to understand the present to see where the future is going and so with that progression you know it's it's quite as i I keep using that word multifaceted yeah um, um, because i feel like at a whole is that for our aboriginal ideologies to come forth is um to give the Western society this understanding that everything needs to coexist together in this uniformity, but also in unity, Yeah, you know? And so uh, we can say, like, for closing the gap, if you talk at progression right now, statistically, we haven't progressed. Um, if we look at, uh, you know, uh, Gough Whitlam, and if you go online right now, you can type in 1972, uh, Gough Whitlam did an address talking about the morbidity rates for Aboriginal people. And then look at that and then look at the Closing the Gap report and see if there has been any changes. Yeah. You're looking at, well, 1972 and it's now 2020. Yeah. And we haven't seen the changes given uh, the amount of funding that has gone towards all of this. Yeah. It is absolutely crazy, right? And I feel like what that is is that we're working within a system, as I said, is outdated. Um, in terms of, you know, I worked, I had the privilege of working at Prime Minister and Cabinet in their behavioral economics team in the Australian government, where we're, they're looking at a division brought across from the UK, David Halpin, with their uh, behavioral uh, insights group, um, which looks at behaviorally informed policies. If you look at systematic change from the inside, those are the kind of discussions we need to make and have. And uh, from there, it, it was like utilizing psychology. I know that, you know, Eldon is going through, you know, studying uh, psychology. psychology, all that kind of stuff to really understand the people. And that's where all of these things, if you're looking at uh, the evolution of it all, is uh, it is reverting back to the people. Every time when we do something, it is going back to the missing ingredient. We go and do, if you look at our history, all these policies, assimilation policy, all these different things, it is going back to the impacts around the people. So if we're building this ecosystem, it is often built from outside in. But if you look at a user experience, like as an Aboriginal person, we must build that ecosystem around that person in which we are supposed to be supporting, supposed to be impacting Yeah. you know? And so um, within, you know, my experience, I had kind of uh, thought, you know, I would understand the people um, through my studies, which I studied anthropology at the University of Western Australia. And in that approach, it allowed me to get all these tools from the Western perspective on how we can shape um, the way in which 
we impact you know on our people and then from there i had to fully understand the people so i went from that uh working with native title bodies here which i had the privilege to work alongside wayne bergman at K uh, at the cred enterprises um and mentor me through that and uh, uncle Shit. anthony watson and that and then uh all the mob there which i uh shout out to them uh that had uh, supported me through work placements which i encourage young people now to go out and talk or even organizations to provide that workplace and placement succession planning kind of support um that provided me an insight into what was happening on the ground for our people, different language groups, you know, Nukana Mangala, all the way through up to Merong Gajarok. Yeah. And so uh, that was so vital to understanding, um, you know, where I wanted to go and how I wanted to do it. And so from there, it led me to going out in the mines um, from another perspective and then seeing what the workers on the ground was going through, look at mining, uh, look at all those kind of things. Yeah, with and, that there, like the system... I want to understand this a bit more in your in your vision, a little a little uh, I guess you could say a little different to the evolution of mental health in this perspective of work and a work standard, but based on one thing which is slavery. All our people, stolen generation, intergenerational trauma, all that mental health issues that have been built up, especially at the beginning of time with the slavery within our people, it's still. Do you believe it still happens today, but in a intern like in an internal way? Like, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. No, well, definitely everything has because um, it's the same system. That is the thing. Yeah. Is that there hasn't been any changes to yeah. it. Like literally, you can see the constitution as proof. Yes, in 1967 we amended, you know, through the referendum. But there is literally, it's the same system. Yeah, it's like uh, like Peter Griffin coming back to get an extra feed with yeah. a mustache on, saying, "Oh, hello, guys." Yeah. You know, um, but it's the same person, same yeah. system, not a person, same system. And we are perpetuating that system. Like if we look at, uh, if we do not evolve, you know programs that send students from community to big cities to private school we do not build this ecosystem around them support cultural integration in the schools all those yeah. kind of things you're perpetuating the cycle of assimilation policy yeah strong generation it's the same thing but now we're told it's for our good same thing oh we're told it's for your good That's we're it. taking your kids away now the parents are tricked oh they need to go away to get opportunities but the opportunities of which is there isn't Harvard or actually united with cultural integration yeah. with all of these things that a young person needs and then we ask the question oh they went through all this stuff they seem ungrateful they seem thing but the sacrifice is a lot you know you sacrifice yeah. your family sacrificing culture sacrificing all these things connection to people that you love all those kind of things yes we have technology these days and you know mom you know as you know traveled you know to america yeah. back in the day one of the second i uh, think from this uh, scholarship to travel to america and back then they only had letters you know yeah. and mom would write to nana and you know your mom auntie philly auntie anna auntie millie and gaga and all them and uh right and that would take months to get here <laughs> yeah. you know um but now because of that, we have phones, we can still connect, but it's still different in terms of that spirituality and connection yeah. that we need as Aboriginal people and uh, just people in general. And so all these different things 
is still the same process and same system. It's just uh, it's a different mask. Yeah, it's tie dyed with all these different yeah. things, and um, it is uh, trademarked by a concept that is meant to say this is for your good yeah you know it, it's kind of like we need to like which is going around this uh the cosmos now is like uh for us with us you know and so schools across australia um the curriculum if we were to expand to every single department must be done with that thing yeah. for us with us consultation all those kind of things but also those three c's which i've been talking about lately which is understanding the context how we communicate and then building a community. Yeah. So it's a three-pronged approach to building that long-lasting relationship which needs to be done. Fucking with um within that that what you just said because of the system shit. We are looked at today in society in my in my opinion no statistics no studied fact on it but in my opinion I think we're looked at today society is that you know when you're at this age you must be doing this. Like, like you're just saying, this is good for you. So it's society standard. When you're in your 20s, you must go to uni, you must study this, you must party, you must... 100%. All that shit. Like, you're getting this perspective on you. And then you have the small percentages go, no, fuck that. I don't want to party. I don't want to do that. I want to build something. I want to change the system. I want to defeat the system. And we can all... We can unravel that back to the Black Lives Matter movement where it's every... I, I, I feel... My personal opinion, people say it's whites and blacks against racism when it should be everyone against the system. Yeah. It should be us trying to decolonize the whole perspective on this system that whites and blacks are different people. Well, not really. It's just the color of our skin. Yeah. If you fucking cut our skin, we bleed the same color. Yeah. We just have different perspectives. And that's what the system has integrated into our brains. They've drilled that into our brains. And evolution over time hasn't changed in, you know indigenous people seeing things from a different perspective yeah. it's them experience things from yeah. a different perspective because yeah, yeah, yeah. we're at a dis- disadvantage and yeah. like it's like a disease you know like if someone gets cancer or something like that you know like they didn't want to get dealt that card yeah. but now the it's a you know discrimination I, I say discrimination is a disease we didn't want to have this disease just like someone with cancer they didn't want to have that but now instead of us trying to fucking find a cure a lot of people are bloody finding clout. Like they're posting shit on social media to get like that appreciation, validation, like they're doing something. The progression and movement, they're getting it mixed up. And like it's the whole system and like how, like it all goes down to the one thing, which is the mental health side of things. And I look at, I look at leaders like you, for example, like you're a role model for me, like how you're going against the system and defeating it. We, we need more people like that. And that benefits mental health change in a lot of ways. And what I want to leave the next question to you with this systematic world that we live in is what was the most traumatic experience in your life with mental health? Like family, friends, um, you know, a network person or sporting. Like what was the most traumatic experience in your life that went, holy shit? Like we, we spoke about debts before, you know? And like our family and all that stuff. Like I know the most traumatic thing for me to experience in my mental health was my suicidal phase. During high school, I went through a whole depressional stage and no one saw that because I put a smile on. The system says smile and you're happy. So I smiled and I was happy. But no one knew deep down that I was depressed. 
And no one knew deep down that I was actually suicidal in my year 12 year. Until my mum, Aunt Philly, she called me up two nights before graduation saying, I'm coming to see you graduate. And that changed my whole perspective on life. That I didn't have to suffer because I still have people that love me out there. Yeah. So for you personally, what was the most traumatic experience in your life with mental health, especially being an Aboriginal male, it's it's amplified for us. Like, we we experience something so traumatic, but people don't realize that it's fucking five, ten. Like it's like three, four, five generations of trauma. And how like what what was the most traumatic thing that you've ever experienced? Well, I think it's there's a lot of different components to it. It's like whether something traumatically impacts you directly or indirectly and i think uh you know bringing up that whole uh intergenerational trauma you know it's um you know a lot of time like you know back in the day i used to well i still think about it like the experience of my grandmother and going through all that what she did and um um but also like talking about it was always indirectly like where i experienced or seen someone going through it yeah uh for me i never in my life really uh i guess conceptualized uh trauma for me it was always outside of me yeah um anything can happen to me and i would like i was so blasé to it you know i was like this thing that i always was looking uh outwardly um but understanding it inwardly um to drive me yeah and so when you talk about like the suicide like my cousin who um uh you know uh passed through suicide um that hit me in a big way um and also like family members i think it comes back to that in terms of trauma because at that time i was at hale you know i had did have support around and things like that but i always just did what you did you know put that smile on, do it, um, because I knew that, you know, I had this opportunity and I needed to make the most of it. And so I bloody did block out a lot of my mental health stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to suffer from, uh, what would you say, night terrors, but I felt like it was something more, um, where I'd get up screaming. And um, one time at school, I actually got up and I was like screaming and I bloody ran through the boarding house and I cracked the window. And um, I used to go through this stuff, um, thing with voices in my head, um, like s- saying the negative things, you know, suicide stuff, all, all, look, all those kind of things. But it was like these voices in my head. And I used to actually sit in my room. No one knew this. Sit in my room and hail. And um, my heart would just start racing in the middle of the night. And literally from that, it would go, go, go. And the voices in my head started to get louder and louder until a point where I would lose control of me. Yeah. Um, and so I'd be sleeping and bang, this attack would happen. And often I didn't know what it really was or where it was derived from, but I would go through these experiences alone. And then from that point where I saw myself lose control and uh, people see me lose control um, and I cracked the window you know, my school came there and they said, oh, you know, one of the boys came out, key for you actually, come and checked on me and asked yeah. me if I was all right. Um, and, you know, at that point, I wish I said, you know, no, I wasn't all right. Yeah. Um, and I thank him for coming and seeing me then. And um, it was, yeah, I told him, no, I'm all good. 
you know. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't really any further discussions about it. And uh, from there, I took that upon myself to literally uh, jump out of that. Yeah. So I literally, uh, I used chewing gum, actually, and I share the story is that every time my heart would pulsate in the middle of the night and it's a school night, there alone, like I'm in this like mental institute, um, with the white walls and everything, my bed there with my door there, I felt like someone looking in, you know, and I'm in a straight jacket, I'd be panting in my room. Um, and then I grabbed chewing gum one time and I chewed and I chewed and I chewed and I matched the heartbeat as I chewed. And I would always think of uh, my niece at that time, Tamea, um, and also my grandmother. And I would say Tamea's name and uh, my nana's name. And then I brought down my heart rate. And so every time I would do it, I would have chewing gum next to my bed and I'd grab that and I would do that. Um, and then the voices slowly but surely just started to quieten down. Yeah. We're like no longer hearing these voices mumbling, talking about all these stupid things. And, you know, I always, yeah, um, used to... Like it's, it's yeah. busted that you say that because I used to do that with, um, what's it called, with tapping so I would yeah. try and match my heartbeat yeah. whenever I started panting on something, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. overthinking, stressing, yeah. hyperventilating. Like I would tap and then my tap would slowly get, you know, it slow down a little yeah. bit. And I would, in my head, I would be thinking of family, you know, and community yeah. and my dreaming at Gunyani tribe there. Yeah. And I'd be like, I literally just tap. And once I started getting that clear vision of that connection, I would close my eyes and I'd breathe. And I would just, I would just see myself back out in community, you know, yeah. next to the river, just chilling, and that would, that would control yeah. me, you know, because the thing that makes me go like laugh a little bit is that, as blokes, we too shame to talk about mental health. Yeah. Like we too shame to, like you just said when Kiefer yeah. came to speak to you, we're too shame to say, yeah, we've yeah. got a problem, yeah. because the system has said boys can't cry, yeah. men can't cry, you cry, you look at as a pussy, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you can't have emotions, you're yeah. a protector, you're a provider, but you can't be this. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if I'd add is that there's a lot of stigma, as you're saying, but it is this component here, all right, is literally that I always feel, and I feel a lot of people feel, but then like to say it is that, oh, I don't think mine is as traumatic as the next person. Yeah. So like when we're talking about trauma and all these things, we weigh it up against other people's experience. <laughs> where we say, oh, it wasn't as bad as them, so I'm not going to share it. Well, how you experience all these things are uniquely done by you. Yeah. Every experience. That's why I hate uh, the English language. Yeah. You know why? <laughs> it's because when we say love to someone, love to me is not love to you. Yeah. You confine it to this understanding, this concept. Yes, we have to communicate. But how we do it, you know, is often colonized by this prohibited terms such as love. Or what is love? L-O-V-E, you yeah. could say. You know, all these different things that when you come to mental health, mental health is someone, me, is totally different to someone else in mental health. Yeah. But the system of which we need to decolonize is that every single person is unique. That's and uh, the whole thinking process is that you should never categorize yourself based on another person's experience and a lot of time that prohibits us from speaking out you know from very young age we normalize things oh that's normal yeah 
you know, so we don't speak out about it. Oh, that's normal until you break out of that environment and say, wait a minute, that wasn't normal at all. <laughs> but because so much people maybe go through it, go through these things, that is still trauma and it still impacts you. And it does not degrade any experience that you have, but we let it degrade it. We let it take away that authenticity of it because what we need to do is really understand it for, you know, that unique experience that it is. Fuck it. That, that's the thing, like, and that's what leads, I guess it leads people to spiral downwards yeah. because of that. And like, like we just said, we're all unique in beautiful ways. We're all our own human beings. We've got to find out in a warrior yeah. and social media is such a fucking big influence on that, which basically dismisses and dis- disembarks the fucking ability for us to find our inner warrior. Yeah. Like we, we have this. I guess the story in our head that we tell ourselves, like you said at the start, is that we see the end product, but we don't see the hard work. We tell ourselves in this in our head, you know, like, oh, this person has this, so I can't be as good as that. And this person, like you said, with the traumatic side of things, you know, let's like talk about, let's talk about the loss of a family member or something. I lost my family member this way due to cancer or something, and they knew it was going to happen, but that's not as bad as a family member committing suicide. Well, the thing yes. that's the dif- I, I yeah. yeah, the difference is it's like it's still a big fucking impact. And the way people, I was gonna say something before is that it's not it's ninety percent of you know how you react to life. Ten yeah. percent what happens to you, but ninety yeah. percent how you react. Yeah. It can either make you bitter or better. Yeah. So whatever life fucking throws at you, you can control by making the decision in your mind. Yeah. And I feel. As leaders within our community, we need to start making a change with the mental health spectrum of stuff. Instead of saying, you need to go to work and do this and stuff, actually go out, go out to community and say, do you feel connected to the community? Do you feel connected to this? Because who's asking those questions at the moment? Like, we, we look at our old people now, they're passing on. They're the, they're the, the storytellers. They're the fucking healers of our, our mob. They're the reason why our mental health is better than it should. Like, like that, that better's our mental health, you know? Listening to a Dreamtime story. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I want to finish off with asking you a few questions about how we answered it before, but how do you feel within the next, say, say next year? How do you feel within the next year? So this time next year, do you think we could change, flip the switch on a story told about mental men's mental health, especially Aboriginal men's mental health, instead of having this fucking forsaga that the Western society media puts onto us. How do you feel we can change that? And I want you to elaborate on a little bit on your current position with your ice cream productions and stuff like that and how you're going to change for that. You know, I want you to elaborate a little bit on that, if that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Um, I think it's a great question. I feel, firstly, like, to put that time frame is quite, uh, you know, <laughs> like, to put, like, one year from now, even though, like, that is not impossible, um, we can still do so much time between now and next year. And uh, by putting those time frames, often we do that as psychologically, as everyone would know, is for accountability. Yeah. So that we actually make most of the time that we have in order to reach that outcome. Uh, uh, but in order to get there, I feel like there's various stages. And um, for us, I think 
is when it comes to mental health, all those kind of things, is what we're doing now is joining the dots. Yeah. Uh, that is creating and finding the gaps and filling it with an arm that is built on unity, um, that actually pulls everyone together. It's not about reinventing the system. It is about uh, diverting the water. Yeah. Right? So the water source is going this way, right? Uh, but the people, someone dammed it, you know, yeah. like they put a dam there and now these mob over here aren't reaching that water source. So it's about connecting another system around that dam that is the barriers that is Western society and the systems that are at play that uh, aren't the people's fault. Yeah. It's the system that was built that um, we don't realize we're still uh, moving, you know, the machine of government, the machine that is there. And there's so much people out there, I have to say, that are working so hard to actually shift that system. Yeah. Um, and so uh, literally it's redirecting that water so that every person has, uh, you know, drinks, um, you know, has that water source. And so uh, literally what we're doing now with Year 13 and Ice Cream Productions is literally uh, diverting the water so yeah. that everyone gets a bit of that water Bloody so it has a drink so those that miss out so we're looking at the gaps right now and i can't say too much right now on the podcast about um one particular event that's going to be coming up um that is going to basically ignite uh the fire the burning de desire that is within the collective consciousness across australia yeah um but united uh i will actually reveal a bit more about that shortly uh but uh in terms of year 13 is literally is building that ecosystem around young people like for once in our history like let's just say if we looked at history and we grew up like if we grew up in before 967 referendum we would have to get exemption certificates and all this stuff live on stations out camps prohibited to do everything under the sun yeah we wouldn't be able to move freely as Aboriginal people in WA we wouldn't have had the right to drink alcohol we wouldn't have had the right to own uh, you know own property to uh, control our children control or anything yeah right if we grew up then that's what it was if we grew back to industrial revolution we would be in factories yeah. right? we would be in factories working in factories because that was the societal norm that was what the environmental deterministic way but right now right is that we have the capabilities to create uh, it's free enterprise create a world where it is so individualized where i can simply set a dream put it in action and create that there is no barriers to that but uh, the barriers through intergenerational traumas that we've seen and experienced a world right yeah. that is told and shared to us where we had all these barriers but right now through creativity there is no barriers that an individual will face because guess what in year 13 and all of these organizations that i'm talking to now is about building that ecosystem around young people so if you haven't already, jump onto year13.com. Um, we are actually uh, working with uh, local native title centers, Anyamburiyaru, all these different organizations to build that ecosystem around a young person. So literally someone, if you look at their social emotional well-being wheel, 
that is inclusive of the outside environment. Yeah. So we start off with understanding that a social emotional well-being, their connection uh, based on social determinants, historical determinants that all impact that young person. But then we branch out to what organizations are out there that supports that person yeah. to achieving that goal, to understanding their purpose, to understanding that pathway, to allow them to see that there is no barriers. So literally, you could go anywhere in the world, right, one day for, through what we are providing and creating right now and know what is supporting you around there, know conveniently what organizations are there to support you, and, uh, accommodation-wise, all these different things. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to start a business where you get those loans, where you get those jump starter packs, all those kind of things, we will have so much information that guide the way you can structure your life that we provide utopia through that experience and that autonomy. Literally, there is nothing one day that a young person can't do. That even the thoughts of selling drugs and doing drugs, all those things won't even be an option because we are going to create a world where they don't have to resort to those things. And that is what we're creating right now. And, you know, we have so much of our young people, you know, in terms of the meth epidemic, all these things that are impacting and perpetuating our social emotional well-being to mental issues that are ruining people's lives, that one day through what we are doing, no one will be selling drugs. No one will be resorting to that. Meth may not even be a thing. Where someone gets offered meth and they're like, nah, I don't want to do that. I have my dream and my pathway right here. Why the fuck would I do that? Yeah. But we have to create that. And it comes from an old psychological experiment where they took a mouse, right? And they took a mouse <laughs> and they gave him like LSD meth in a water source, right? And he was hooked on that water, on that water source because of those things. But then they created, right, a world for that mouse where they had all these things, endless food, Endless fun things, activities, friends, all this stuff. And you see is that those that were drinking their water source actually became less dependent on that because they had all these environmental yeah. things that supported <clears throat> that person's living, the quality of their life. That's and that is what we are creating. I, that's like to a little bit on that there. There's a quote that I live by. It's um, the people you surround yourself with is the person you become. And there's a quote by the billion dollar man. He said, uh, or he said something. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I was like, fuck. He's basically saying if you're around people that aren't talking about dreams, goals, and ambitions and chasing something, you're basically living up to the system. And that's where your mental health gets a bit fruit caked over and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's in saying that, I feel like as well as that, those things there are exceptions to it. Yeah. So like I can hang around with whoever, but if I know who I am and That's what it. I want to do, where I want to go, then I can do that. You got to have like certain groups. You got to have a group that's all about serious things. Like Les Brown said, you know, he's got his social mates that he yeah. just talks about, goes to walks with, or he got his business mates that he talks about business with, but he won't talk about social things with the business mob and he won't talk about business with the social mob. But that's the fucking deadly thing of, I guess, talking out and... To sum a lot of this up is that's what we want people to do, especially blokes out there. And this is not just discriminating against females. Like you beautiful ladies out there, if you've got problems as well in the up, like in your head, like everyone goes through days where they just need to speak. Everyone out there, just speak out. Literally don't 
don't be shame you know speaking out is not a disease it's not a curse it's actually going to benefit you long term and short term and that's 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 the most important thing is just finding finding the words that you need to say but also not putting so much pressure on yourself to try to find those words it's just about speaking out seeking help and it's nothing wrong with actually seeking help just love who you are people be be that fucking warrior and don't don't let anyone degrade who you are don't allow outside voices to control the inside internal effect that you are and like i say all the time just stay true to who you are and fucking find that inner warrior thanks bro scott for coming on today hope a lot of you guys took some information and uh maybe learned a thing or two or fucking got a bit of a shocked by some personal experiences that we spoke about but um yeah cheers scotty thank you again bro you know, of course, uh, thanks everyone for listening and thanks, Alden, uh, for guiding the discussion. And yeah, if you uh, want further information, jump on year13.com or you can find me on my website, uh, icecreamproductions.com.au or on any of my social handles, which is Scott Lewis Wilson. Um, yeah, please send any questions in. I'd love to answer any question, but also, yeah, if you ever want to collaborate, talk, yarn, connect. Just send a message. I'm not getting paid for him to give himself shout outs, by the way. He's just doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <nah. laughs> Hundred helmets. Uh. <laughs> oh. All right, you mob. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know how it is. Much love. Catch you guys later.